chapter thirteen of pioneers of the old south by mary johnston this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen rebellion and change bacon with an increased army now rode out once more against the indians he made a rendezvous on the upper york the old pamunkey and to this centre he gathered horsemen until there may have been with him not far from a thousand mounted men from here he sent detachments against the red men's villages in all the upper troubled country and afar into the sunset woods where the pioneer's cabin had not yet been builded he acted with vigour the indians could not stand against his horsemen and concerted measures and back they fell before the white men westward again or if they stayed in the ever-dwindling villages they gave hostages and oaths of peace quiet seemed to descend once more upon the border but if the frontier seemed peaceful virginia behind the border was a bubbling cauldron bacon had now become a hero of the people a siegfried capable of slaying the dragon nor were lawrence and drummond idle nor others of their way of thinking the indian troubles might soon be settled but why not go further marching against other troubles more subtle and long continuing and threatening all the future in the midst of this speculation and promise of change the governor feeling the storm dissolved the assembly proclaimed bacon and his adherents rebels and traitors and made a desperate attempt to raise an army for use against the new-fangledness of the time this last he could not do private interest led many planters to side with him and there was a fair amount of passionate conviction matching his own that his majesty the king and the forces of law and order were being withstood and without just cause but the mass of the people cried out to his speeches bacon bacon as the popular leader had been warned from jamestown by news of personal danger so in his turn berkeley seems to have believed that his own liberty was threatened with suddenness he departed the place boarded a sloop and was wafted over chesapeake bay thirty miles to accomac the news of the governor's flight producing both alarm in one party and enthusiasm in the other tended to precipitate the crisis though the indian trouble might by now be called adjusted bacon far up the york did not disband his men he turned and with them marched down country not to jamestown but to a hamlet called middle plantation where later was to grow the town of williamsburg here he camped and here took counsel with lawrence and drummond and others and here addressed with a curious lofty eloquence the throng that began to gather hence too he issued a declaration recounting the misdeeds of those lately in power protesting against the terms rebel and traitor as applied to himself and his followers who are only in arms to protect his majesty's demean and subjects and calling on those who are well disposed to reform to join him at middle plantation there to consider the state of the country which had been brought into a bad way 
by sir william's doting and irregular actings upon his proclamation many did come to middle plantation great planters and small men just freed from indentured service holders of no land and little land and much land men of all grades of weight and consideration and all degrees of revolutionary will from drummond with a reported speech i am in overshoes i will be in overboots and a wife sarah who snapped a stick in two with the cry i care no more for the power of england than for this broken straw to those who would be revolutionary as long as and only when it seemed safe to be so how much of revolution despite that speech about his majesty's demean and subjects was in bacon's mind or in richard lawrence's mind and william drummond's mind or in the mind of their staunchest supporters may hardly now be resolved perhaps as much as was in the mind of patrick henry thomas jefferson and george mason a century later the governor was in accomac breathing fire and slaughter though as yet without brand or sword with which to put his ardent desires into execution but he and the constituted order were not without friends and supporters he had as his opponents saw a number of wicked and pernicious counsellors aids and assistants against the commonalty in these our cruel commotions moreover and a great moreover is that it was everywhere brooded that he had sent to england to the king for two thousand redcoats perhaps the king perhaps england will take his view and not consulting the good of virginia send the redcoats what then bacon as a measure of opposition proposed a test or recognition to be signed by those here at middle plantation who earnestly do wish the good of virginia it was a bold test not only should they covenant to give no aid to the whilom governor against this new general and army but if ships should bring the redcoats they were to withstand them there is little wonder that this bugbear did marvellously startle that body of virginia horsemen those progressive gentlemen planters and others yet in the end after violent contentions the assembly at middle plantation drew up and signed a remarkable paper the oath at middle plantation historically it is linked on the one hand with that thrusting out of his government of sir john harvey in charles the first time and on the other with virginian proceedings a hundred years later under the third george if his majesty had been as it was rumoured wrongly informed that virginia was in rebellion if acting upon that misinformation he sent troops against his loyal virginians who were armed only against an evil governor and intolerable woes then these same good loyalists would oppose and suppress all forces whatsoever of that nature until such time as the king be fully informed of the state of the case what was to happen if the king being informed still supported berkeley and sent other redcoats was not taken into consideration this paper being drawn was the more quickly signed because there arrived in the midst of the debate a fresh indian alarm attack threatened a fort upon the york 
whence the governor had seen fit to remove arms and ammunition the news came most opportunely for bacon there were no more discourses the major portion of the large assemblage signed the old government in virginia was thus denied but it was held that government there must be and that the people of virginia through representatives must arrange for it writs of election made as usual in the king's name and signed by bacon and by those members of the council who were of the revolt went forth to all counties the assembly thus provided was to meet at jamestown in september so much business done off rode bacon and his men to put down this latest rising of the indians not only these but red men in a new quarter tribe south of the james kept them employed for weeks to come nor were they unmindful of that proud old man sir william barclay over on the eastern shore a well-peopled region where travelling by boat and by sandy road was sufficiently easy bacon lawrence and drummond finally decided to take sir william captive and to bring him back to jamestown for this purpose they dispatched a ship across the bay with two hundred and fifty men under the command of giles bland a man of courage and haughty bearing and no great admirer of sir william's goodness the ship proceeded to the accomac shore anchored in some bight and sent ashore men to treat with the governor but the governor turned the tables on them he made himself captor instead of being made captive bland and his lieutenants were taken whereupon their following surrendered into barclay's hands bland's second-in-command was hanged bland himself was held in irons now barclay's star was climbing in accomac he gathered so many that with those who had fled with him and later recruits who crossed the bay he had perhaps a thousand men he stowed these upon the ship of the ill-fated bland and upon a number of sloops with seventeen sail in all the old governor set his face west and south towards the mouth of the james in that river on the seventh of september sixteen seventy six there appeared this fleet of the king's governor set on retaking virginia jamestown had noticed the bacon faction held the place with perhaps eight hundred men colonel hansford at their head summoned by barclay to surrender hansford refused but that same night by advice of lawrence and drummond evacuated the place drawing his force off toward the york the next day emptied of all but a few citizens jamestown received the old governor and his army the tidings found bacon on the upper york acting with his accustomed energy he sent out far and wide ringing appeals to the country to rouse itself for men to join him and march to the defeat of the old tyrant numbers did come in he moved with marvellous celerity when he had for the time and place a large force of rebels he marched by stream and plantation tobacco field and forest forge and mill through the early autumn country to jamestown civil war was on across the narrow neck of the jamestown peninsula had been thrown a sort of fortification with ditch earthwork and palisade before this bacon now sounded trumpets no answer coming but the mouths of cannon appearing at intervals above the breastwork the rebel general halted encamped his men 
and proceeded to construct siege lines of his own the work must be done exposed to sir william's iron shot now comes a strange and discreditable incident patriots revolutionists who on the whole would serve human progress have yet as have we all dark spots and seamy sides bacon's parties of workmen were threatened hindered driven from their task by berkeley's guns bacon had a curious unadmirable idea he sent horsemen to neighboring loyalist plantations to gather up and bring to camp not the planters for they are with berkeley in jamestown but the planters wives here are mistress bacon wife of the elder nathaniel bacon mistress bray mistress ballard mistress page and others protesting these ladies enter bacon's camp who sends one as envoy into the town with the message that if berkeley attacks the whole number of women shall be placed as shield to bacon's men who build earthworks he was as good or as bad as his word at the first show of action against his workmen these royalist women were placed in the front and were kept there until bacon had made his counter line of defence sir william berkeley had great faults but at times not always he displayed chivalry for that day the ladies white aprons guarded general bacon and all his works the next day the defences completed this white guard was withdrawn berkeley waited no longer but though now at a disadvantage opened fire and charged with his men through gate and over earthworks the battle that followed was short and decisive berkeley's chance gathered army was no match for bacon's seasoned indian fighters and for desperate men who knew that they must win or be hanged for traitors the governor's force wavered and unable to stand its ground turned and fled leaving behind some dead and wounded then bacon who also had cannon opened upon the town and the ships that rode before it in the night the king's governor embarked for the second time and with him in that armada from the eastern shore the greater part of the force he had gathered when dawn came bacon saw that the ships large and small were gone sailing back to accomac bacon and his following thus came peaceably into jamestown but with the somewhat fell determination to burn the place it should harbor no more rogues what bacon lawrence drummond hansford and others really hoped whether they forecasted a republican virginia finally at peace and prosperous whether they saw in a vision a new capital perhaps at middle plantation perhaps at the falls of the far west a capital that should be without old tyrannic memories cannot now be said however it all may be they put torch to the old capital town and soon saw it consumed for it was no great place and not hard to burn jamestown had hardly ceased to smoke when news came that loyalists under colonel brent were gathering in northern counties bacon now ill but energetic to the end turned with promptness to meet this new alarm he crossed the york and marched northward through gloucester county but the rival forces did not come to a fight brent's men deserted by the double handful they came into bacon's ranks resolving with the persians to go and worship the rising sun or hanging fire reluctant to commit themselves either way they melted from brent running homeward by every road 
bacon with an enlarged not lessened army drew back into gloucester revolutionary fortunes shone fair in prospect yet it was but the moment of brief deceptive bloom before decay and fall at this critical moment bacon fell sick and died some said that he was poisoned but that has never been proved the illness that had attacked him during his siege of jamestown and that held on after his victory seems to have sufficed for his taking off in gloucester county he surrendered up that fort he was no longer able to keep into the hands of that grim and all-conquering captain death his body was buried says the old account but where deposited till the general day not known only to those who are resolutely silent in that particular with bacon's death there fell to pieces all this hopeful or unhopeful movement lawrence might have a subtle head and drummond the courage to persevere hansford cheeseman bland and others might have varied abilities but the passionate and determined bacon had been the organ of action bacon's the eloquence that could bring to the cause men with property to give as well as men with life to lose it is a question how soon had bacon not died must have failed his attempt at revolution desperate because so premature back came berkeley from accomac his turbulent enemy thus removed all who from the first had held with the king's governor now rode emboldened many who had shouted more or less loudly for the rising star now that it was so untimely set made easy obeisance to the old sun a great number who had wavered in the wind now declared that they had done no such thing but had always stood steadfast for the ancient powers the old governor who might once have been magnanimous was changed for the worse he had been withstood he would punish he now gave full rein to his passionate temper his bigotry for the throne and his feeling of personal wrong he began in virginia to outlaw and arrest rebels and to doom them to hasty trials and executions there was no longer a united army to meet but only groups and individuals striving for safety in flight or hiding hansford was early taken and hanged with two lieutenants of bacon wilford and farlow cheeseman died in prison drummond was taken in the swamps of the chickahominy and carried before the governor berkeley brought his hands together mr drummond you are very welcome i am more glad to see you than any man in virginia mr drummond you shall be hanged in half an hour not in half an hour but on the same day he was hanged imperturbable scott to the last lawrence held by many to have been more than bacon the true author of the attempt either put an end to himself or escaped northward for he disappears from history the last account of mr lawrence was from an uppermost plantation whence he and four other desperadoes with horses pistols etc marched away in a snow ankle deep they were thought to have cast themselves into a branch of some river rather than to be treated like drummond thus came to early and untimely end the ringleaders of bacon's rebellion in all by the governor's command thirty-seven men suffered death by hanging there comes to us down the centuries the comment of that king for whom berkeley was so zealous a man who fell behind his colonial governor in singleness of interest but excelled him in good nature that old fool said the second charles has hanged more men in that naked country than i have done for the murder of my father that letter which berkeley had written some months before to his sovereign about the waters of rebellion was now seen to have borne fruit in january while the governor was yet running down fugitives confiscating lands and hanging traitors 
a small fleet from england sailed in bringing a regiment of red coats and with them three commissioners charged with the duty of bringing order out of confusion these commissioners bearing the king's proclamation of pardon to all upon submission were kinder than the irascible and vindictive governor of virginia and they succeeded at last in restraining his fury they made their report to england and after some months obtained a second royal proclamation censuring berkeley's vengeful course so derogatory to our princely clemency abrogating the assembly's more violent acts and extending full pardon to all concerned in the late rebellion saving only the arch-rebel bacon to whom perhaps it now made little difference if they pardoned him or not but with this piece of good nature so characteristic of the second charles there came neither to the king in person nor to england as a whole any appreciation of the true ills behind the virginian revolt nor any attempt to relieve them along with the king's first proclamation came instructions for the governor you shall be no more obliged to call an assembly once every year but only once in two years also whensoever the assembly is called fourteen days shall be the time prefixed for their sitting and no longer and the narrowed franchise that bacon's assembly had widened is narrowed again you shall take care that the members of the assembly be elected only by freeholders as being more agreeable to the custom of england nor is the grant to culpepper and arlington revoked nor wider and deeper are the navigation laws in any wise bettered no more than before no more indeed than a century later is there any conception that the child exists no more for the parent than the parent for the child sir william berkeley's loyalty had in the end overshot itself his zeal fatigued the king and in sixteen seventy seven he was recalled to england as governor of virginia he had been long popular at first but in his old age detested he had great personal courage fidelity and generosity for those things that ran with the current of a deep and narrow soul he passes from the new world stage a marked and tragic figure behind him is vengeance's displeased even loyalist virginia willing on the whole to let bygones be bygones among neighbours and kindred it is said that when his ship went down the river bonfires were lighted and cannon and muskets fired for joy and so beyond the eastward horizon fades the old reactionary herbert jeffreys and then sir henry chichley followed berkeley as governors of virginia they are succeeded by lord culpepper and he by lord howard of effingham king charles dies and james the second rules in england culpepper and effingham play the governor merely for what they can get for themselves out of virginia the price of tobacco goes down down the crops are too large the old poor remedies of letting much acreage go unplanted or destroying and burning where the measure of production is exceeded and of petitions to the king are all resorted to but they procure little relief virginia cannot be called prosperous england hears that the people are still disaffected and unquiet and england stolidly wonders why during the reign of the second charles maryland had suffered from political unrest somewhat less than virginia the autocracy of maryland was more benevolent and more temperate than that of her southern neighbour the name of calvert is a better symbol of wisdom than the name of berkeley cecil calvert second lord baltimore dying in sixteen seventy five has a fair niche in the temple of human enlightenment his son charles succeeded third lord baltimore and lord proprietary of maryland 
well-intentioned this calvert lacked something of the ability of either his father or his grandfather though he lived in maryland while his father had lived in england his government was not as wise as his father's had been but in maryland even before the death of cecil calvert inherent evils were beginning to form of themselves a visible body in maryland as in virginia there set in after the restoration a period of reaction of callous rule in the interests of an oligarchy in sixteen sixty nine a packed council and an aristocratic assembly procured a restriction of the franchise similar to that introduced into virginia as in virginia an assembly deemed of the right political hue was kept in being by the device of adjournment from year to year in maryland as in virginia public officials were guilty of corruption and graft in sixteen seventy six there seems to have lacked for revolt in maryland only the immediate provocative of acute indian troubles and such leaders as bacon lawrence and drummond the new lord baltimore being for the time in england his deputy writes him that never were any more replete with malignancy and frenzy than our people were about august last and they wanted but a monstrous head to their monstrous body two leaders indeed appeared davis and pate by name but having neither the standing nor the strength of the virginia rebels they were finally taken and hanged what supporters they had dispersed and the spectre of armed insurrection passed away the third lord baltimore like his father found difficulty in preserving the integrity of his domain his father had been involved in a long wrangle over the alleged invasion of maryland by the dutch since then new netherland had passed into english hands now there occurred another encroachment on the territory of maryland this time the invader was an englishman named william penn just as the idea of a new world freedom for catholics had appealed to the first lord baltimore so now to william penn the quaker came the thought of freedom there for the society of friends the second charles owed an old debt to penn's father he paid it in sixteen eighty one by giving to the son whom he liked a province in america little by little in order to gain for penn access to the sea the terms of his grant were widened until it included beside the huge pennsylvanian region the tract that is now delaware which was then claimed by baltimore maryland protested against the grant to penn as virginia had protested against the grant to baltimore and equally in vain england was early set upon the road to many colonies in america destined later to become many states one by one they were carved out of the first great unity in sixteen eighty five the tolerant charles the second died james the second a catholic ruled england for about three years and then fled before the revolution of sixteen eighty eight william and mary sovereigns of a protestant england came to the throne we have seen that the proprietary of maryland and his numerous kinsmen and personal adherents were catholics approximately one in eight of other marylanders were fellows in that faith another eighth of the people held with the church of england the rest the mass of the folk were dissenters from that church and now all the protestant elements together the quakers excepted solidified into political and religious opposition to the proprietary's rule upon the accession of william and mary dispatched orders to the maryland council to proclaim them king and queen but his messenger died at sea and there was delay in sending another in maryland the council would not proclaim the new sovereigns without instructions and it was even rumoured that catholic maryland meant to withstand the new order in effect the old days were over the protestants churchmen and dissenters alike proceeded to organize under a new leader one john coode 
they formed an association in arms for the defence of the protestant religion and for asserting the right of king william and queen mary to the province of maryland and all the english dominions now followed a confused time of accusations and counter-accusations with assertions that maryland catholics were conspiring with the indians to perpetrate a new st bartholomew massacre of protestants and hot counter-assertions that this is a sleeveless fear and imagination fomented by the artifice of some ill-minded persons in the end coode assembled a force of something less than a thousand men and marched against st mary's the council which had gathered there surrendered and the association for the defence found itself in power it proceeded to call a convention and to memorialize the king and queen who in the end approved its course maryland passed under the immediate government of the crown lord baltimore might still receive quit rents and customs but his governmental rights were absorbed into the monarchy sir lionel copley came out as royal governor and a new order began in maryland the heyday of catholic freedom was past england would have a protestant america episcopalians were greatly in the minority but their church now became dominant over both catholic and dissenter and where the freethinker raised his head he was smitten down catholic and dissenter and all alike were taxed to keep stable the established church the old tolerance such as it was was over maryland paced even with the rest of the world presently the old capital of st mary's was abandoned the government removed to the banks of the severn to providence soon when anne should be queen to be renamed annapolis in vain the inhabitants of st mary's remonstrated the centre of political gravity in maryland had shifted the third lord baltimore died in seventeen fifteen his son benedict fourth lord turned from the catholic church and became a member of the church of england dying presently he left a young son charles fifth lord baltimore to be brought up in the fold of the established church reconciled now to the dominant creed with a maryland where catholics were heavily penalized baltimore resumed the government under the favor of the crown but it was a government with a difference in maryland as everywhere the people were beginning to hold the reins not again the old lord and the old underling for years to come the lords would say that they governed but strong life arose beneath around and above their governing maryland had by seventeen fifteen within her bounds more than forty thousand white men and nearly ten thousand black men she still planted and shipped tobacco but presently found how well she might raise wheat and that it too was valuable to send away in exchange for all kinds of manufactured things thus maryland began to be a land of wheat still more than a land of tobacco for the rest conditions of life in maryland paralleled pretty closely those in virginia maryland was almost wholly rural her plantations and farms were reached with difficulty by roads hardly more than bridle paths or with ease by sailboat and rowboat along the innumerable waterways though here and there manners large easy-going patriarchal places with vague feudal ways and customs were to be found the moderate-sized plantation was the rule here stood in sight usually a blue water the planter's dwelling of brick or wood around it grew up the typical outhouses household offices and storerooms farther away yet clustered the cabin quarters alike of slaves and indentured labor then stretched the fields of corn and wheat the fields of tobacco 
here at river or bayside was the home wharf or landing here the tobacco was rolled in casks here rattled the anchor of the ship that was to take it to england and bring in return a thousand and one manufactured articles there were no factories in maryland or virginia yet artisans were found among the plantation labourers carpenters coopers sawyers blacksmiths tanners curriers shoemakers spinners weavers and knitters throughout the colonies as in every new country men and women besides being agriculturists produced home-made much that men women and children needed but many other articles and all luxuries came in the ships from overseas and the harvest of the fields paid the account End of chapter thirteen